I know that I was unexpected, but you, you say I was a good surprise. Ever since that day, you've been blessed. I know I'm not the easiest daughter, but I'm lucky with an amazing mom. And ever since I got here, I've been blessed. I know I don't say it enough, but you're an amazing woman. Yes, you are so beautiful, graceful in everything you do. You are so beautiful. Just wish you saw. The way I see you. Wish you saw yourself the way I see you. Our life has thrown you many curveballs, but you catch them and you give it your all. And I admire the way you power through. because of you and I know I don't say it enough I want to be like you when I grow up cause you You saw yourself the way I see you. You're strong, you're brave. You're a force to be reckoned with on any given day. And someday I'll have a girl of my own. And I'll teach her all the stuff you already know and I know I don't say it enough but you're an amazing woman yes you are so beautiful graceful in everything you do you are so Wish you saw yourself the way I see you. I wish you saw yourself the way I see you. Cause you are so
Good morning, Middle. Would you rise and join me in our invitation to worship? Almost got you. <clears throat> Come, lift your voices to our Creator, who is always here and hears us. Sing to God, because God draws near to hear us. Call to God by each of God's holy names, all God's people. You heal us, you raise us up, and you turn our lives around. Amen. And now would you stay standing for our opening hymn, My Shepherd is the Living God.
I'm excited to invite my friends up to the blanket. Young and young at heart are invited. This is the message for all ages. Hi, We Care Buddies, right on cue. In from the social hall, come join us up here. Hello, Lucia and Brooks. Hello, friends. Here's a spot for all of you. Today, the scripture is from Psalm 23. Hello. And in Psalm 23, it's like a poem describing God as a shepherd taking care of her sheep. And you know what? On this Mother's Day, I wonder how many parents and people who mother sometimes feel like a shepherd. Yeah, it could be a grandma or an auntie or a neighbor or a teacher or a pastor, someone who kind of helps you, takes care of you, watches over you, makes sure you have everything you need. Maybe they lead you in a safe way. They teach you. They comfort you. We are really lucky because we have grown-ups who do that for us. We have people who care about us. And the person writing this poem in Psalm is describing God as a shepherd. I'm going to say a shepherd mother. And they're giving this like shout out to God. It's, it's saying, God, thank you for doing all these things to take care of us. And God is often described like a parent. So if we were to give a shout out to those parent figures in our life, a mom, a dad, a parent, a guardian, or any of those other people that I said earlier that might mother us, what would your shout out be? What would you say? Okay, Leslie, start us off. Thank you for loving me. I'm going to have you say it one more time. They got the mic now. Thank you for loving me. Beautiful. Oh, Freddie has one. Thank you for giving me the right energy. Oh, that's a good one. Do I have another hand? What would you say thank you? Yeah. For helping me. For helping me. Excellent. You guys are doing even better than some of the older kids. You're like ready and on it. Do you have one, Carlo? Thank you for taking me to breakfast. Taking me to breakfast. Any more? Oh, these are good. We have grown-ups who love us and take care of us, and they remind us of the ways that God loves us and takes care of us too. So let's celebrate those parents and mothering figures in our life today. Let's say a prayer of thanks right now. Go We Care Buddies with the, the sermon, yeah. We'll link up together. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for being our shepherd mother and giving us grown-ups to love and care for us. Amen. All right, let's sing some Sia Humba. Thanks for your participation, friends.
Good morning. Welcome again to Middle Church. We are so glad that you are here. My name is Amanda. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm one of the ministers here. And I'm still thinking about Freddie's shout out to his mom, Salita, for the right energy. That's so deep, right? I'm like, wow. If you are worshiping with us today for the very first time, will you raise your hand and keep your hand up? Welcome. Where are you from? Here, New York. Welcome. Who else? Where are you from? Los Angeles. Welcome. Chicago. Amsterdam. Yeah. France. Anyone else? We're so glad that you're here. Someone over here. Where are you from? New York. And, oh, someone up here. Where are you from? Yes. Anybody up there? Go ahead. Well, okay, we're glad you're here. <laughs> if you are, yes, where are you from? Welcome. If you are watching, worshiping with us online, we're glad that you all are worshiping with us also. And since it's raining here, we're a little jealous. We'd love to stay in touch with you. Please fill out a card so that we can get to know you. And you can come and see Bertram after worship if you'd like to know a little bit more about this place as well. You may have already noticed that there is someone different in the pulpit today. Eve Insler is in the house. Eve, we are so glad that you are with us today to bring us a good word. Jackie will give you a a better introduction than I am now, but we are so glad that you are here with us today. Welcome. There is a lot happening in the life of Middle. If you'll look here on the screen as announcements are rolling, you can make yourself aware of all the good things that are happening in and through this place. I will highlight just a few of those things. In our work towards gender and racial justice, you can join us this Tuesday night for a documentary viewing, Death by Delivery, which highlights the black maternal health crisis. You can see me for more information or come at 6 p.m. this Tuesday. You can also join us next Monday, the 20th, for another Mosaic concert put together by Matthew Johnson Harris. This one will be featuring women and proceeds. It's a suggested donation of $20, but anyone should feel welcome to come. Proceeds will benefit Middles Pride initiatives. You don't want to miss this amazing lineup. And finally, today is a bittersweet day in the life of Middle. Every year we have seminary interns who are part of our community for the year. And today is our two seminary interns very last Sunday with us. So I would like for Caroline, is Caroline still here, to stand and also Jen, if Jen is here, so we can thank you all. Thank you so much. We are better because of your all's presence with us this year. And you go with our deep, deep blessing and our deep, deep gratitude. Be sure to catch Jen and Caroline before you leave today. And now I would like to bring forth our amazing senior minister, the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Hey, everybody. How are you today? Just want to greet all the people who mother. Mothers who mother, aunties who mother, fathers who mother, 
everybody who mothers, congratulations and happy Mother's Day to you. We're so glad you're here. A special welcome to Eve's son and granddaughter who are here with us today too. Welcome to our space. We're glad to have you. Um, uh, so, um, the psalmist, the 23rd psalm is our scripture today. All the music is working toward that. All the prayers are working toward that. And one of the things that's really beautiful for me um, in this psalm is the, the phrase that says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Um, and you all know I like to call God she, and I do it for several reasons. One, just to switch it up. But two, the, the mercy, that word mercy, is, has the same roots in it as the word womb. The word mercy has the same root word as womb in the Hebrew. So surely goodness and womb-like love will follow me all the days of my life. That's one thing. But the other thing is that the, the writer of the scriptures, the Hebrew writers, when they talk about this space where God is present, God is following, it's like God leading through a, a cloud through the desert or God following us, the word that they use for that kind of glory of God is Shekinah, or S-K-A, Skina. And that word means neighbor. But guess what? It means female neighbor. So God's presence is like womb-like love, and God's presence is like a female neighbor, like your next-door neighbor, that's going to follow you so closely that you will never feel alone. And as a person, you know, missing my mama today, it's so good to think about God's neighborly mercy love following me. I wonder if we could, all of us, use the prayer time today not to list all the crazy, because there's crazy, but what if we instead kind of meditated on what it would be like to have a, a neighbor, a female neighbor following us everywhere, or womb-like love following us everywhere. Let's think about that, what that would be like. So can you be in your body with that with me and sort of think about that? And after a time of silence, I'll try to lead us into some what-ifs around how that might be for us as we pray today. Thinking about all of us who want a mama. Holy neighbor, womb-like lover, what if every day we felt your presence hovering close by like one that would tend a scabbed knee when we fall down? Or like one who would comfort us when we feel hurt or sad 
or gassy or overtired. What if we, blessed neighbor, lover, could really feel confident in you checking in on us when we're out of food or we need someone to help us carry a heavy load or to hold us and celebrate us when we do something amazing. What if we, womb-like lover, felt your tending to us like a teenager needs both boundaries and space? Boundaries and space. And someone to say, that's not how we do it. When we're not our best selves. When we behave badly from the White House to the playground? What if we felt you encouraging us to be love and light, fierce love and light? What if we beautiful light embodied felt you following us close enough that we can feel you like a breath on our neck. As we seek to live as love in the world, God, Mama, Papa, God, connect us to you, tether us to you, tether us to you with cords that cannot be broken. So that as we face our lives as agents of healing and change, we'll actually take in, absorb, interject the mercy and goodness that is you, and it will fill us up to overflowing cup, like the psalmist says. And we'll walk through shadowy places and funky places and scary places, knowing you've got our back. Touch us, bless us, each of us. Dry our tears. Encourage our joy. Amen. All right, beloved. Oops. All right, beloved. <laughs> Will you stand? If you're able, as you're able. Hold hands with your neighbor as you're able, if you're able, but not if you're sick. Do the elbow thing. And let's keep praying the prayer that Jesus taught all his followers. 
pray it the way you know it, pray it in the language you learned it, in the form, debts, trespasses, nobody cares. <laughs> Let us pray this prayer. Ever loving and holy God. Thank you, choir. So, goodness, mercy, peace, those are gifts we've been given. Let us give them to one another. Peace be with you. Say hello especially to our new folks.
was wonderful. Today's scriptures is Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God makes me lie down in green pastures. God leads me beside still waters. God restores my soul. God leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. This is the word of God for the people of God. The seminary. Yes, she is. Off to Drew. Yeah, working on a master's. Proud of you. Friends, I am so honored to invite Eve Insler to the pulpit. Eve's work around the globe in V Day and One Billion Rising, work against violence against women is phenomenal. Her vagina monologue changed my life and rewired my sense of my hoo-hoo. Um, <laughs> amen. <laughs> and she is a prolific, amazing author. Her latest book, The Apology, is one of the most profound pieces of literature I've ever read. It is starkly honest, heart-rendering truth that somehow manages to tell the truth on her abuser and also compassionately understand where abuse comes from and how sometimes we're just shaped in a hot mess that leads us to be terrorizers. This sermon is honest like honest. So strap on, strap in, hang on, and be ready for an amazing sermon from E. Zensler. Our beloved Reverend Jackie. How lucky are you to have Reverend Jackie at this church? Oh my God. For giving me this opportunity this morning, and I thank you for inviting me into this beautiful church on this precious Mother's Day. I bow to all mothers of children, of movements, of ideas, of adopted friends and families, I bow to mothers who garden and tend the earth and mothers who fight for human rights. And I bow to our holy mother, the divine earth, who is so generous in spite of our indifference. I want to just recognize Dara Baldwin, whose birthday it is today, and Alison Palmer, 
And I want to thank my beautiful son, Dylan, for being here, and my gorgeous, gorgeous granddaughter, Coco, whose birthday is on Tuesday. I have never given a sermon before, and it might surprise you that as a radical anti-feminist, anti-racist feminist, it's been a dream of mine secretly forever. So I want to thank Jackie for fulfilling this dream. I come to you this morning as many things. I come as a woman who has had at times been lost and anxious and despaired, and I come to you as a woman who has known the deepest bliss, contentment, and love. I come as a woman who has loved men and women, and a woman who has been utterly terrified of intimacy. I come as an artist who has been saved by the act of creation, and I come as an activist giving what I need the most. I come as a friend, a mother, a sister, a daughter, and a rebel. I come as a white person whose ancestral legacy was responsible for murdering, pillaging, colonizing, raping, and the removal of the indigenous whose land we stand on right now. I, I come from an ancestral legacy which produced 400 years of slavery, lynchings, murder, rapes of our beautiful African-American brothers and sisters, followed by Jim Crow and continuing endless diabolical white supremacy through active participation or through the blindness of privilege. I come from Jewish ancestors erased in genocide. I come from the oppressed and I come from the oppressor, the murdered and the murderer. These stories shame me and catalyze me every day. I come with mad hope and I come with pure outrage. I come with sorrow. I come with magic. I come with grief that feels so huge it could feel to fill the oceans with my tears. I come knowing each of us is divine, and I come knowing we are wildly imperfect. I come as a seeking human being, and I come as a know-it-all. I come as a white, middle-class person who had all the economic and racial privileges, and I come as a girl who has been devastated by sexual violence beginning at five from that same father of privilege and the murderous violence which ravaged me until I left home at 18. I come to you with a heart breaking from the violence of our current state of America and the hate. And I come to you as a woman who is forever moved by the generosity and kindness of the many. I come to you as a person who wonders deeply if we humans have a future here on Earth, and if we are going to get it together in the next 12 years. And I come to you as a, someone who will fight to the end to make sure we do. I come to you as a realist, and I come to you as a believer in miracles. I come to you as a woman who lives in the woods and worships and spends my days bowing and hugging trees, and serve the mother, and I come to you as a city dweller searching for a way home. This particular morning, I have come to talk to you about the alchemy of the apology. Some ground rules. This is an offering, not a prescription, not a must-do, not the only way. It's an offering, period. Every survivor, every person has their own journey, their own process, their own timing. What works for one person may not work for another. What works at one moment of your life may not work at another. I'm simply sharing my own experience, and as one of my gurus, Terence McKenna, says, it's the only thing we can fully trust. There may be things I say that are triggering or difficult here this morning, so I just want to open that and put that out there. 
And two, when I use the word women, I mean to include all women who identify as women. As I said, my early years were brutal and full of terror and pain. My father sexually abused me from five to 10, and after he stopped, he needed to erase what he had already destroyed. So he physically and emotionally battered me, almost murdering me, until I left home at 18. That abuse altered the constitutional makeup of my entire being. It filled my cells and blood and body with terror, worry, guilt, dread, that would in my teenage years and on until my 60s develop into all-encompassing self-hatred and anxiety. The abuse created infections in my body and, 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 and seriously compromised my immune system. And in my 50s, I would get stage 3, 4 uterine cancer. I miraculously, miraculously, am totally well now nine years. Thank you. The abuse created infections in my body, and it froze me and made it almost impossible to concentrate or think. This had a terrible impact on my ability to study and learn. This reconfirmed my father's idea of me as a stupid person. The abuse made intimacy claustrophobic, made love foreign, made safety a pipe dream, and drew me constantly to dangerous situations and people in an attempt to master my past and my fear. The abuse led to addiction, alcohol, drugs, sex. I tell you all this not for your pity or sorrow. I tell you because when we talk about violence against women, it is so abstract, so broad. We don't realize the specific detailed ways it impacts our lives and how many years, how much time it takes to rise from the ashes. I've been blessed that for years I was able to waitress and make enough money to survive and then doubly blessed that I made my way as a writer so I could afford to pay for the resources, therapy to help lift me and lift the lid that, of that very dark period of life. And I was also embraced by a 12-step program that really taught me what community was and love. I know others are not so fortunate. And I know if we lived in the world I imagine, we would take at least 80% of the money we spend on bombs and missiles and grenades and guns and war and killing, and we would redirect it into a national trauma fund so that all those who are suffering from some kind of trauma, whether it be physical or sexual violence, ancestral violence, casteist violence, racial or gender violence could have the means and resources and love and attention to recover. It would be a national priority alongside the Green New Deal. Can you imagine the outcome of a country that treated the trauma of its citizens rather than punishing them for being wounded or poor or mentally ill or immigrants or homeless or broken or deprived or angry or violent? As I said, I have spent my life climbing out of the hole of betrayal and terror, finding a way back into this body. My father died 31 years ago, and for the years before he died and the years after, I've been waiting for him to make a reckoning, to be accountable, to make an apology. So I decided to write his apology. In his voice, with his words, to write a letter where he would say all the things I needed to hear. The apology required time, and they all do. 
It's not I'm sorry. It could not be rushed. My father, the one I imagined, the one inside me, had to spend days reliving his crime, mentally reenacting the details, feeling what it must have been like inside me, his daughter, the one he abused. He had to strip away the hardness which prevented him from empathy, the narcissism, the indifference that rejected responsibility, rejected even the notion of apology itself. I asked him, remember my cries and pleading. Look back and see my face, what it looked like when you demeaned me or insulted me or grabbed me or beat me or invaded me or raped me. I asked him to meditate and to try to feel and experience what it was like inside my body as I experienced the confusion, the terror, the rage, the claustrophobia, the heartbreak, and the betrayal. It had to be thorough. The liberation for both the perpetrator and the victim in the apology is in the details. I've asked many women, what would justice look like after they've been sexually abused or battered or incested or harassed? Some women demand punishment, prison time for their perpetrators, public exposure, loss of jobs, loss of careers. Some women simply want their perpetrators to disappear altogether. But most women that I've spoken to say that in order to heal, in order to move on, what they need and want from their perpetrator is to acknowledge the truth of what he's done. They want their perpetrator to recognize them as a full and real human being to acknowledge the harm he has caused, and to feel remorse and heartbreak. They need to see their perpetrator has taken responsibility for his actions and done extensive work to understand what made him commit this violence. They need to know the depth of his reckoning will prevent him from ever committing this violence again. So what is an apology? It's a humbling. It's a loss of grandiosity and superiority. It's an admission of wrongdoings. It's a surrender. It's an equalizer. It's making true connection. An apology is the antidote to the convenient and diabolical amnesia which grips our family and country. Apologize, apologies rip open the lies, the denial, the myths, the delusions that keep the violent story in place. Just imagine if we really apologized to the indigenous or to African-Americans, really apologized and went through the steps to say this happened and this happened and we're responsible for this and we're responsible for this. An apology is a remembering, a public acknowledgement that what occurred really did occur. The powerful have been trained never to apologize. They make themselves the victims. We only have to look at our current predator-in-chief to understand that. That's what my father did, right? Even as he whipped me and threw me against walls, he was the victim, reminding me always how it hurt him more than it hurt me. I was the reason he had to do it. I behaved like that. He had no choice. Some accused men, right, have lost jobs, careers, reputations. I have to say it's been short-lived for most white men. Some men have gone to prison. But even when they come forward to describe what they have learned since being accused, they don't say the words, acknowledge the specificity of their crimes. They don't trace the history of their own stories or development of distortions in their own psyches that would at least attempt to make sense of this brutality. 
They don't investigate the system of patriarchy and racism and privilege that allowed, encouraged, and gave them cover for this violence. They don't wrestle down their demons and expose vulnerability. Instead, when called out, they speak of their own pain and loss and misfortune, often steeped in self-pity. I have read no words of any man accused of sexual violence, none publicly, who has taken the painstaking steps to self-revelation, who has done the treacherous work of owning his actions, searching his history to trace the seeds and reasons for his crime, in facing his violence, in speaking the words, in making the apology. And I do not know if it is simply ignorance or male entitlement or shame or refusal or arrogance or that men are simply unable to face so much pain or they've been so trained to hold on to their pride and power to the final hour. My father said to me in the book, and to be, often, to be honest, writing this book, I really do, do feel like he spoke to me, that for a man to apologize is to be a traitor to men. Once one man admits he was wrong and knows he was wrong, the whole story begins to collapse. So many of us have been waiting. I think of brave Anita Hill and Christine Blasey Ford. I think of the comfort women in the Philippines and all over Asia who were kidnapped and raped by Japanese soldiers in World War II, standing every Thursday at vigils for 70 years, waiting, waiting, waiting for the apology to come. Most of them have died now. The rest are old and failing. They have never heard the words, and they will never rest. We have devoted our lives waiting for this truth to be uncovered because it lives at the center of everything we are and are not. It's the stoplight in our nervous systems. Without this accounting, we cannot go on. For a lingering lie is an undeniable stain that controls and defines. That lie is like a cancer cell that first invades and then spreads through the whole system. And even when we appear to go on, even when we move our bodies forward and go to our jobs and feed our children, we can never be whole. Because without justice, there is no freedom, there is no integrity, there is no full life. It's the system that has to change. The fundamental beliefs, the values, the central idea. The question is, how do we address racist patriarchy? the paradigm that underlies all the violence we are currently inside. We have to get under the story in order to uproot it, rather than continuing to ram up against it. We have to offer a doorway rather than a locked cell. We have to move from humiliation to revelation, from curtailing behavior to changing it, from containing perpetrators to calling them to reckoning. And the truth is, the system of patriarchy is as poisonous to the winners as it is to the losers. As devastating to the men who are severed from their hearts and tenderness as it is to the women who suffer terrible violence as a result of that separation. Women spend their lives recovering from sexual violence, but men spend their lives covering for it. And both these things empty and take our lives. The truest healing heals the victim and perpetrator at once because both are forever caught inside the same story. Punishment in itself cannot offer healing. We live in such a punishing country, such a punishing country. We punish each other on every level. 
Punishment does not change us. Punishment punishes us. Many men are afraid now and, 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 and are very confused. They don't know how to act. And of course, having this new awareness is a wonderful thing. But being on guard does not necessarily mean being aware of the issues. It doesn't assure being educated or taking responsibility or exploring your inner depths to see where you are sexist or culpable or how your past actions have hurt someone and when you need to be, make repairs. Being on guard means being sure you don't screw up, make a mistake, get caught. It's a punishment response. You're in fear, on hold, suspended. It's not a state of mind in which you are open or vulnerable or where you can learn or change. I believe this deeper process is calling us now. I actually believe we are pushing forward to move into an age of reckoning. The apology is an excavation, insisting that the perpetrator go beneath the surface, be willing to mine the layers of truth and guilt hidden between each new revelation. An apology is both a method and a practice. The act itself holds the possibility of transformation of liberation. When it is offered, as it's received, the authentic apology creates an alchemical reaction, a physical, spiritual, psychological dissolving of the offense and rancor and bitterness, revenge and hate. This is actually, I think, what forgiveness feels like. As Emma Goldman once said, before we can forgive one another, we have to understand one another. We need to teach apology the way we teach prayer for it is in fact a practice, and it requires practice to get it right. It demands thoroughness and devotion and concentration. It demands the vulnerability of that petition and the humility. Each one of us is seriously flawed and imperfect, and I think our greatest flaw is that we don't even know that or believe that. Each one of us is flawed, but we are engaged, hopefully each of us, in uplifting our souls and evolving our humanity. Apology is the medicine. It's the salve. It's the cleanses and fortifies and allows us to continue on. But it has to be taught. It must be practiced. I hear survivors often being told, you need to forgive your perpetrator and just move on. I worry how we use forgiveness, how somehow we skip the vital piece of reckoning and accounting before any form of true forgiveness can occur. And many religions, there's a confession or there's admitting of wrongs which generates forgiveness. The onus is not on the victim to forgive. It is not on the victim to forgive. This feels like the next forced mandate and without the discourse and action of the apology, it can be hollow and inorganic and never releasing the victim or perpetrator from guilt or rage. Writing this book was the most difficult painful and liberatory things I've ever done. I had to enter the wound. You know, I woke up in the middle of the night two nights ago and it was really strange. I, I saw this mandala of the whole world. And in the center, there was a center and in the center of that, there was this really small dot. And as I get close to it, it started to open and open and open and I realized it was the wound. It was the wound. And I realized that the wound is a portal it's a portal, but you have to go inside the wound. You have to go all the way inside the wound to get to the other side of the wound. If you pull up to the door of the wound and you park your car there, park your horse there, you will be in pain for eternity. 
But if you make a choice to go into the wound, to touch all the places you're afraid to touch, you will get to the other side. And on the other side, there is freedom. Writing this book, as I said, you know, I, I love Cornell West, and he brilliantly describes that. He says, we have to make a courageous, creative, unflinching look at catastrophe. I had to remake myself in the idea of myself writing this book. I had to break the vice of my lifelong identity being victim to my father's perpetrator. And I have to tell you, I was very attached to that identity. I made a life of it. And that's not to say it was a bad thing, but it was the frame that contained my life. I had to paint my father in more diverse and intricate colors. I had to enter his pain, his history, and I had to grieve for him. I discovered that my father, my perpetrator, was part of me that I actually know him in some ways better than I know myself, and that I've been in conscious or unconscious dialogue with him inside me my whole life. And then I came to the startling realization that I could change who he was inside of me and how he behaved. He could own his terrible deeds. He could feel my pain. He could evidence awareness of remorse. He took responsibility and he apologized. He went from abuser to apologist, from monster to vulnerable, hurting, broken human being. And for the first time, I can honestly tell you, I am genuinely free. I realize... <laughs> and I want to say something about that. Often when we're abused, it doesn't matter if it's racial abuse or casteist abuse or gender abuse or economic, you know, put down or immigrant abuse. We're told once that abuse occurs, we're kind of finished. We're broken. We're done. Particularly rape survivors. We're told that all the time. That is the second level of abuse. The, the story that that abuse has finished you. And I'm here to say we can get free from the abuse. We are warriors and we can transform that suffering so that we can be radical, revolutionary actors in the world. I realize that even the desire for an apology is a tall order. It would mean, at the very least, a remaking of human consciousness. It would mean becoming vulnerable and lost and risking that the exploration and expurgation could potentially mean a radical change of identity and position. But what it could also mean is being involved in a process which has the possibility of bringing us into a time where the tyranny of misogyny and racism, which has robbed men of their hearts and tenderness and humanity, is transformed into a time of equality, peace, and loving connection between men and all women. Our, imagine, our imagination is our most powerful weapon. We can conjure the dead. And let me tell you, the dead are all around us. They need to be in dialogue with us. They need to get free. We can rewrite their stories. We can make them see us as they have never seen us. We can get them to reveal themselves and see themselves, and we can transform the underlying narrative that has caught us in a cycle of violence, punishment, and more violence. I ask myself, what am I doing here on this earth? What am I doing here? My answer is very simple. I I'm here to get free. Free of rancor, free of pain, free of racism, reversing the legacy that I carry as a white person, free of prejudice and unkindness, 
free of self-loathing, free of my desire to hurt and compete, free to live fully in my sacred body and to be with the earth in all her beauty and know that we are one, free of jealousy, ego, free of not feeling like enough, free of comparison, free to be my authentic self, free to serve and only serve that which is divine. Only then can I manifest my real purpose. And there is only one real purpose that we are doing here on this earth. The only reason we were brought down into this plane at this time in this realm, and that is to love. And I don't mean, I don't mean a sentimental, touchy-feeling kind of love like the kind of I'm sorry postcards. I mean a fierce love that Jackie talks about, a love born in the alchemy of the wound, of the shadow, of the shamanic fire of the true and radiant apology. So I ask you all this morning, go into yourselves, go into yourselves and truly ask yourself, what apology are you being called to make? Who have you harmed that you have denied to yourself about? Who did you do something to that impacted their future and the lives of their children and the lives of their family members? What wound do you need to uncover and enter into in order to face the truth about who you have harmed? What apology have you never received that you need to write for yourself? What lengths are you willing to go to free yourself and your victim from a lifetime, a legacy of pain and suffering? I ask you, will you please practice apology? Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, I'm Carol Wurzbecki. Um, I'm a member of Middle Church and one of the editors of our literary magazine, which we put out every year. So I was thinking about the Super Bowl halftime show recently. You may be wondering what this has to do with Middle, but bear with me. The Super Bowl, for those of you not living in the United States, is an annual sporting event where the two best American football teams face off. Now, I'm not very into sports, but I'm interested in the halftime show because I believe it holds a mirror up to our culture. Sometimes what looks back is not very pretty. From Adam Levine's anticlimactic striptease to the brief appearances by rappers and smoke machines, it was, well, pretty lame. Even the obligatory gospel choir couldn't salvage this overproduced series of awkward moments. I'm a writer working in marketing, so I'm always thinking about how to do it better. 
Here's how I'd reboot the halftime show. Colin Kaepernick is the MC. He opens, he opens by singing the national anthem, on bent knee, of course. In place of mediocre mainstream musical acts, why not have drum lines and color guards from local high schools and step squads from the projects? The first transgender and drag cheerleading squad. A crowdsourced video featuring people doing good works in their communities. And for the finale, jumbotrons displaying five charities audience members can donate to with a link to a website listing more. All the while, a holographic image of Freddie Mercury is singing Somebody to Love. Here's my thinking behind this. Shouldn't a show that attracts an audience of millions each year more closely imitate the spectacularly inclusive and radically loving Christmas service we put on here December 8th? And by association, reflect the real America, who we are. I would not have come up with all this crazy stuff if I hadn't discovered Middle more than 20 years ago as a member of the Gospel Choir. This is a church that cares and isn't afraid to speak truth to power. It's made me question my place in the world, my privilege, and my assumptions about difference. It's that radical welcome, what Jackie calls love period, that colors, and I use that word deliberately, colors everything I do, from defending a coworker from a superior's racially tinged criticism to editing our literary magazine with Harold Slazer and helping the people in our writing group to be their best creative selves. It's why I give. It's why you should, too. And if anyone knows who I should contact about next year's Super Bowl halftime show, please see me. And please buy copies of the magazine. They're on sale. Thank you.
God, thank you for these offerings. We ask that you bless those who were able to give as well as bless those who could not. We ask that you use these offerings to help build your kingdom on earth. And we shall give you the glory and the praise for it all. In your most precious name, amen. Amen. Family, we're going to sing verses one and three of our closing hymn. One and three of our closing hymn. always love Eve, but I think I love her more. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. Listen, friends, Eve is going to sign books right over here um, when we're finished with this today. Um, and now this benediction. Uh, we are followed, stalked, is what the psalmist is saying, by goodness and mercy. 
by a presence that is like a female neighbor, by a love that is like a womb holding us, growing us, even allowing the stress to bless us, is what this lyric just said. So I'm inviting us to spend every day meditating, thinking on what that's like. What is it really like to be loved like that, to be followed like that, to be cared for like that? And if that kind of love becomes the way we live our life, I think we will end all the junk, the poverty, the racism, the sexism, the violence. I think we will be revolutionary in our love, fierce in our love, if we can interject what God has done for us, is doing through us, and make it ours. God is our mama, our mama earth, our mama love. So let's go like do what she wants, okay? Amen. Thank <laughs> you.